0: employees, soldiers, they look around and they kind of get what's on like maybe the organization's website. These are our values and all of that versus like what is really day-to-day rewarded versus what is ignored. And I think that compliance so often kind of fell into that bucket of like, yep, we've got a code of conduct. Yep, we've got these Pentagon policies, but like that's not really what we care about. Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox.
1: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today I have with me Roxanne Petraeus. Roxanne has a very interesting career, which has led her into the world of compliance. So we're going to explore her background, her academic, professional background. We're going to explore how she got to where she's at now and, most importantly, what she's bringing to the compliance space now. So, Roxanne, for that incredibly long-winded introduction, first of all, welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Oh, you bet. Thanks for having me. So, Roxanne, could you tell us about your uh, academic career or background and then your uh, professional career, maybe through your military service? Definitely.
0: So academically. I went to Harvard and Oxford and was really interested in economics. And while that is obviously not the most logical connection to compliance, I think when I really found behavioral economics fascinating, so sort of like what causes people to do certain things, make certain choices, and with the big theme of incentives matter, and you can really like tweak, make little changes that actually have pretty big impact on, for example, like, you know, adherence to. Local taxes, or you know, all of those sorts of things that, that, like, nudge theory, like all of that, that became quite interesting around the time I was in school. And then professionally, yeah, uh, kind of also a bit of a winding path to compliance. But I was in the army. I served as an active duty army officer for about seven years, and really enjoyed my time in the military service. And then got out. Was at McKinsey for a bit, and then co-founded Athena, which I'm now the CEO of, which is a compliance training platform. So that's my kind of like windy path.
1: So could you maybe give us a couple of leadership lessons that you learned in the army that you've been able to bring forward to Athena today?
0: Yeah. I think the army obviously is a like incredible training ground for things like leadership. I think a couple of lessons come to mind. One is a very simple one when I was a cadet, so like a very junior little peon in the army. I remember talking to, I think he was a captain at the time. He was sort of running our our ROTC program. And he just said something that has always stuck with me, which is like, leadership is actually very simple. It's just about caring. He used a phrase like giving a blank, but you, you get the idea. That like, that's really what leaders at the end of the day do. And that's very different than letting your team walk all over you or coddling someone. Like, I think when you really care about someone, like Kim Scott writes about this in radical candor, you know, it's, it's holding them accountable. It's believing that they can be excellent and wanting that for them. I'm now a parent of a two-year-old. And so I think a lot about leadership, even in, in the context of being a mom of like being a good leader, isn't giving my kid candy at like 7pm and being like, go for it kid, whatever you want, believing that he can be great and trying to like give him the opportunity to do that, but also hold him accountable. And I think the same is true with leadership in the private
1: sector. You mentioned the book Nudge. I wanted to ask, did you study any works by Daniel Kahneman as well?
0: Yeah, I remember reading a couple of those papers. I think like thinking fast and slow or a couple of those different things kind of sort of came out. And behavioral economics in general was like having a big impact on the field. Um, I graduated in '09, So around that time. So just sort of I feel like it made a lot of intuitive sense, like people respond to incentives and you can make small tweaks, opt-in versus opt-out for your 401k plans, like all of that. And that actually has like a huge impact on how people respond.
1: Right. Let's move forward to Athena. What led you to co-found Athena?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it was kind of like a long percolation and then like a short catalyst. So the long part of it was being in the army, there was actually a ton of compliance training. So we, we called it check the box training, which I didn't really, I assumed that was sort of the term so everything from like security to sexual harassment prevention to the military suicide prevention was a really important topic and so that was treated with what i would call check the box training and i just always thought it didn't make sense it just struck me as odd that an organization that otherwise did a phenomenal job with training so for example if you're like preparing to jump out of an airplane it's not check the box <laughs> it's not like oh okay you you attended so even though you did poorly like here you go you know there was repetition, they were simulating the environment. And then there were standards. Same for like deploying to Afghanistan, the incredible job really like training the organization on what they're supposed to be doing and taking it seriously. And then, you know, once a year, it'd be like, oh, all that was out the window and everyone get into a room and we're going to tell you, teehee, don't do bad stuff. Ha ha bad powerpoint and it was like okay it's very clear that the organization does not care about anything that was just on this powerpoint because the training was so bad that you infer as a soldier like okay clearly this is not important because if it were important we would treat it with the seriousness that we treat
1: all these other topics
0: they just kind of thought that was strange
1: i have never heard that before that's a great insight yeah not not from the trainer or training perspective but from the attendee or receiver Perspective totally. that if the training is nonsensical or not first rate or not even up to the par of other training, that communicates a lesser value of that training to that person receiving the training. Yeah. And it, that's a great insight. No, I've never heard anyone say that.
0: I remember hearing that term first in economics, but it's like you're signaling as an organization like, what you care about. And so, like, again, in the military, if we took sexual harassment prevention training. It was a joke. Like soldiers would make inappropriate jokes in the training. It sort of felt like an episode from the office. And so it was very clear that, for example, you know, a soldier would not be promoted if they were failing their two mile run. Like the organization was clear about that. But if the soldier like consistently used inappropriate language toward women, you know, gender jokes, et cetera, no problem. Like as long as they didn't cross the absolute most egregious line, they're good to go. And so I think like people respond to incentives. And so I think soldiers kind of picked up on like, okay, anything in this bucket, not important. I just need to do the bare minimum. And then everything in the physical fitness, leadership, all of that, very important. So I need to do this, do this well. I remember seeing a study actually from the military about sexual harassment prevention. And it said something like the biggest predictor of how many incidents a unit had in a given year period, something like that was actually just whether or not individual soldiers perceived that their immediate manager cared. Like the phrase was, or the word was cared. And it was something like, you know, that demonstrated that it was important or whatever. But I think to me, that's like exactly what I'm I'm talking about, which is like employees, soldiers, they look around and they kind of get what's on like maybe the organization's website. These are our values and all of that versus like what is really day-to-day rewarded versus what is ignored. And I think that compliance so often kind of fell into that bucket of like, yep, we've got a code of conduct. Yep, we've got these Pentagon policies, but like, that's not really what we care about.
1: Sorry to uh, get sidetracked there, but what a great insight. But back to Athena. I'm always intrigued by people who look at the same thing I look at or look at the same thing a lot of other people look at and see something different or they see a market opportunity or they see a market need. And I wanted to maybe kind of explore that with you What either need or opportunity do you see, given the background you had in the military that led you to co-found Athena?
0: Similar to what we were just talking about, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not an HR professional, I'm not a compliance professional. And so I think I approach the space from like a very newbie lens, you know, of like I just asked a bunch of questions, like a bunch of very basic questions. Why are we doing this? Why is it done this way? And I think the insight that I had was that the employee experience really matters because that's the perspective that I was coming to this from and the perspective my co-founder, our CTO came to this from. We assumed that the name, for example, sexual harassment prevention training meant it was supposed to prevent harassment. So we said like, oh, well, if you really wanted to prevent these sorts of issues, how would you design it? And we realized that you wouldn't design it to be once a year. You wouldn't design it to be clunky. You wouldn't design it to sort of feel very like stuffy 90s PowerPoint. Like, and so we just like asked a fundamentally different design question that I think what the industry historically have been oriented toward, which is more like, how do you kind of iterate on the same model and make small tweaks, but like don't fundamentally change the
1: way it's delivered the key components of it. What are some of the key products or services of Athena at this point?
0: Companies come to us for compliance training. So everything from code of conduct, harassment prevention, insider trading, anti-money laundering, like sort of the, the key anti-bribery, like the key things you would typically see in either HR-focused compliance or like more regulatory um, or financial compliance. And we continue to build out that library. But I think the key distinction, because it's like what we offer is, you know, you need this thing, we, we have this thing. We just do it in a super different way. So one example of that is you think of our platform as allowing a compliance officer, or HR, whomever's running it to deliver the right training to the right employee at the right time. So what that might look like is, You know, you have an offsite coming up and you want to deliver professional conduct at offsites of three minute, we call them nudges, bit of training right before the sales offsite. And you want to just send that to the sales team. You can do that. If you want to remind the whole organization of your gifts and entertainment policy right before the holidays around now, because that's when it's going to be most impactful, you can do that. If you want to send LGBTQ allyship during pride month, because your whole organization is thinking about that. So like, let's train on it when it's top of mind, you can do that. So it just gives this functionality that we call moments that matter, that makes it more about the communication part and not just the quote, like check the box training part of compliance training.
1: Could you tell us a little bit about your client base?
0: We tend to train tech companies. We ourselves are a startup. And I think that this kind of very innovative, like, let's not just check a box, let's make this about culture and how we interact with each other as colleagues and learning tended to resonate. Most strongly with uh, tech audience, though not exclusively. We have a lot of financial firms joining, which I think is really neat as well. And we are really proud to train some of the most like innovative, culture forward companies. Everything from like Netflix and Pinterest to Figma and Notion, these kind of next generation tech companies. Yeah, that's sort of the basis. We have about seventy thousand or so employees using the training every day, which is which is super cool.
1: Let me see if I understood something you said a little bit earlier that. Yeah when you look at training you don't start with a training you start what's the problem we're trying to either prevent or fix that's and right. then what can i put in front of my audience to prevent or fix x from occurring yep that's very different than <laughs> my ilk and what i mean by that is i'm a lawyer so i yeah. think about well, what do you need what information do i need to put in front of you and it strikes me is that is a significant qualitative difference in the starting points. And because you're starting in a different place, you're ending in a different place. I think you're Uh, totally right,
0: yeah. Wow. I'll see if I can find it after if it's of interest, but I remember some study that said that like many compliance things aren't really an information problem. So if you ask somebody, are you allowed to give a bribe? You know, most people are like, no, like they understand that they're not supposed to do a bunch of things. Now there might be some confusion in gray area, But it's really more like a behavior problem where it's like, you know, that you're not supposed to do X, Y, or Z thing, but then you get on a Zoom and somebody says something inappropriate and no one else knows what to do because they're like, I know that that's wrong, but it's also deeply uncomfortable to like report this to HR, provide feedback in the moment. And so I think we thought like, certainly we need to tell people about their code of conduct topics and insider trading or whatever. But really, what we're trying to do, and what when I work closely with, With our customers, like our compliance leaders will tell me the most, I don't want to train everyone to be a lawyer because I'm not going to train them to be a lawyer in one hour over the course of a year. What I want to train them to do is like know what wrong looks and feels like and then come to me. It's really about that, like come bring us issues because we can't solve what we don't know. And so we've just thought a lot more about let's not really get into the details of if you're so close to the line arguing about inches, you're already in a bad spot. So instead, let's really talk about like, How do you make sure that you know where to bring issues? How do you bring issues to your manager? As a manager, how do you recognize that this like, hey, can I just talk for five minutes isn't just a vent? It's like actually a pretty important piece of information that your company needs to know and you're actually obligated to tell your company. It's like more about those things. You know, you're an expert, you're a lawyer, you don't need the memo as much as the new engineer who just joined right out of college and really has no idea that like moonlighting for this cool tech company actually happens to be like a conflict of interest because turns out they're a competitor. You know, it's like really thinking about that person, not the person who is the expert.
1: In the compliance world, the regulators generally in the form of the Department of Justice or the Securities and Exchange Commission or other federal agency have really emphasized engagement, Yeah. engagement and training. We used to call it testing to see yeah. if you're getting through, but you've used the word engagement a lot throughout this podcast. So I really wanted to explore how does, uh, Athena, or how do you advocate really employee engagement in a way that you can demonstrate if a regulator comes knocking?
0: A hundred percent, yeah. I mean, the answer is going to be like data, data, data. I think that you want the data to show the employee engagement. I was thrilled when one of our early buyers kind of talked me through recent DOJ guidance and what they were looking for, because I was like, that's what we want to build about engagement and really like showing transparency with a dashboard to our buyers so they can see instead of us just saying the training is effective and, you know, designed by experts. And so we think about different buckets of data. The most obvious one is like completion. Everyone tracks that that's table stakes, but we do that. We do it well. We integrate with a bunch of HR systems, workday, et cetera. So we make it really easy to just see like, are your people doing it? Or are they doing it on time? Cause that's table stakes. And we did this white paper with atmosphere that that I thought was really good about the buckets of like our employees employees need to do do the training that's you know step one but then they need to learn from it and ideally change behavior so learn from it one of the things we thought about is like in adult learning there's a lot about humor engagement like how do you get someone's attention because if someone has tuned out No matter how good your content, they're not learning. Any like freshman in college who has a really boring monotone professor will tell you this. And so, what we do there is let employees rate training, which I'm curious if you've ever seen that before, but like employees can rate every five minute bit of training. They can call it boring. Literally, we let them click boring next to engaging. We don't put our finger on the scale. They get like three positive words, three negative words, and free text feedback. And we are approaching our one millionth piece of positive feedback put through the system from employees. And 93% of all the feedback given has been positive, which kind of blows my mind because this is usually one of like going to the DMV, this is how employees think of it. And we surface all of that data to our admins so they can see at my company, what's the percentage of employees who thought our training was relevant, for example. Let me pause there because I'm curious if if you've seen essentially an employee NPS, like employees get to Yelp review our training. No. (laughs) That's what we usually ask. And people say like, I don't want to know how much they hate it. And we're like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, makes
1: sense. Okay, so we've got finished training, we've got learning, but there was a third part.
0: There was a third part. So the third part is like, are you changing your behavior? And so there we let our admins select a bunch of like pulse survey questions. The ones that our admins have been most interested in are things like, am I comfortable reporting an issue to compliance to managers, et cetera? Do I know how to do it? And looking at whether those numbers are improving over time. So I was just sitting in on a a quarterly business review with one of our enterprise customers. And we saw something like a 20% jump in the percentage of employees who were comfortable raising, I think, a code of conduct issue to their compliance teams. And our customers are thrilled to see those numbers and to see them go up because that's what you're really trying to do is measure like, do you guys know what's going on? Do you know who to go to when there's an issue? and they're saying like this is so helpful because regulators have consistently said they're looking for data like you know <laughs> you should be using data to inform training and not just kind of run the same playbook year after year with no change and so us being able to provide really granular data so in your LA office in the sales team 75% of your employees feel comfortable raising an issue to compliance and that compares favorably with same time last year all of that allows us to really do some super cool things. So you can think risk-based training. If you're in this department and historically the compliance team has seen an issue with it, you can send additional training nudges just to that group. I heard a use case a couple of times now of employees who may be over Slack or Microsoft Teams are consistently using some inappropriate language. And so in this situation, HR compliance is trying to figure out like, what do I do? It's kind of this gray area. We really want them to be more inclusive what do I do? And they said like, oh, I'm going to send them a particular training nudge from our library on intent versus impact to these employees to try to improve their knowledge base. I'm not going to send it to everybody because training fatigue is real, but I'm going to target our training where the risk is greatest. And I think that's exactly what regulators have been advocating for versus just this kind of paper program, like check the box.
1: You're absolutely right. That is exactly what the regulators are looking for. But could I turn to how or why you think the Athena training is so engaging or even memorable?
0: Yeah. What's really nice is like what I think doesn't matter, which is great. I just get to say like, look at the the receipts. So again, like a million positive reviews from employees. And I think the reason we've made really good training is because we're forced to. It's sort of like if you're a restaurant and you're on Yelp, like if you're serving bad soup pretty quickly, everyone's going to yell at you on Yelp and you're going to have to change it. Because we've been very transparent with our data to our customers. If we had, you know, only like I saw a Gallup poll that said only something like 11% of employees rated their compliance training as excellent. If we were showing to our admins, hey, 11% of your team thinks this is good, that'd be pretty bad. You know, it'd be like very uncomfortable for us to have to service that data. Whereas because we have this like positive feedback loop where employees tell us when the training was engaging, when it was off, hey, this didn't make sense, you know, whatever, our content team can very quickly in an iterative way, respond to that data and make it better and better. I just got a text from a friend of mine whose company uses our training. And she said that, like, weirdly, I've heard the story twice this week that I think they were using harassment prevention, the training was so good that her kids wanted to watch it. That is a bar we were not aiming for. But I think that's what results from a ton of data coming through the system on ratings.
1: You've used the word culture several times in our visit today. Last fall, last October even, the Department of Justice announced for the first time that they would begin assessing corporate culture for companies that were involved, certainly in Foreign Corrupt Practices Act investigations or enforcement actions. That's now been memorialized in a memo. You have talked about training as not simply a part of your culture, but actually a way to improve culture. I was wondering if you'd give us a few thoughts on that, Roxanne.
0: Yeah, I think it's crucial. I mean, again, it goes back to like my experience in the Army of what is written on like a Pentagon memo like does not trickle down to how a unit behaves. But what does is culture and like understanding the norms and what we do and don't tolerate here. And so we've thought about, okay, how can we make training that supports like a positive culture? And I think that's like what we've done by making it good, valuing the employee experience. We'll hear things like, Maybe a company will use one of our particular training nudges and then reinforce it at all hands and talk about it. And like managers will talk about it in their one-on-ones. And I don't think that great training can fix like a very, for lack of a better word, like broken and toxic culture, right? Training is one component of this like holistic system. But I think what training can do is help a company that really wants to invest in these topics, demonstrate that they take them seriously, which goes back to what we were talking about earlier in the conversation around signaling. like. Remember an EEOC report, again, this was on um, harassment, but saying something like training that's done once a year and done poorly signals that the organization doesn't take this seriously. And so we thought like, well, how can we give organizations a tool where they can really demonstrate like, hey, we do take our code of conduct seriously. We put a lot of work into, you know, putting this together. And it's not just something that lives on our website. Like it's a core part of what we do. We have an advisor, Len Shen, who is um, Chief Compliance Officer. At, like, Len Shen is an advisor? Yeah, oh, very cool. I think the world of Len. Yeah. And I feel like he tells a story that I'm going to forget which financial institution is from, but saying something like compliance when done right is a core part of the business. It's about like when we do the right thing, like that has real positive business implications. And I think you, you've seen this over the past couple of years with like some companies who've kind of consistently not done the right thing, like having a real impact on their market cap and on these like very tangible numbers. And we wanted to design training for the company that's like hey, I do care about these things. I don't love that I put a dusty PowerPoint in front of everybody once a year and say, hey, sign this thing like that. That feels fundamentally at odds with who we are.
1: Roxanne, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering before we leave, if our listeners wanted any more information on yourself, Athena, or really any of the topics we've touched on in this podcast, what would be the best place for them to go?
0: Yeah, that would be wonderful would love it if folks reached out. They can find us at goathenaethena.com or I'm on LinkedIn, Roxanne Petraeus. There are not many Roxanne Petraeuses, so
1: I should be easy to find. Yeah, and I would love to hear from folks. Roxanne, I really appreciate you taking the time to visit with me. You have lots of non-lawyer insights that I think can make training <laughs> yeah. uh, much more effective and certainly engaging. And I really hope we can continue this conversation. That'd be great. Thanks so much for having me.
0: If you want to stay up to date on the latest innovations in compliance and help your business run more efficiently, subscribe to this podcast and help spread the word by leaving a review.